The goal of this meeting is to get everybody excited about their resolutions. Who's been good about their resolutions so far? Erin, tell us about it. Well, my goal was to learn a new word every single day, and I must say that it is going immensely. Cool. Here's a little way to go gift from Saber. Intercepted. Hey, huh? Gabe. Oops, oops. Creed, I noticed you don't have a resolution on the board. What's yours? I want to do a cartwheel, but real casual like, not make a big deal out of it. But I know everybody saw it. There's one stunning, gorgeous cartwheel. How's it going? I'm having a little trouble motivating. One of the hardest parts about making resolutions is keeping them. In fact, most resolutions are abandoned by February. Or sooner. <laughs> yeah. It's not a joke. But that's okay, because it's not about being perfect, it's about trying. In fact, why don't we go around and confess some of the ways that we've already fudged on our resolutions? Well, I said that I would eat more vegetables, and I haven't yet. But it's okay. I still have time. Since last year, I ate none. Okay, well, my confession is that today I had a sip of coffee, but that's fine. Is it? Yes, because with all of your support, by this time next year, maybe I'll be down to one glass of iced tea a week. Next year? Come on. I mean, what is the point? What is the point of that? I made a resolution to floss, and I did it. 1201, January 1st, bam, blood everywhere. Lesson learned. Well, Happy New Year, Hope. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for uh, coming out on a super cold day. I think eight below is what I heard, and that's not even wind chill. And we love to talk about wind chill, so let's just call it 117 below uh, wind chill so that we can feel better about how hearty we are uh, here. And that goes to all of you who are online watching us as well. Welcome. So glad that you have tuned in and worshiping with us. Uh, hi to our campuses, uh, everybody who's with us there. We're one church in thousands of locations. A special shout out to our local site. We're going to highlight a different local site every now and then. Today we're going to say hi to Clear Lake. They have a baptism up there today. Uh, Mark Brandt, our online minister, is there. And so hello to all of you who are at our Clear Lake local site. We're really glad that you're all here. So it's day two of 2022. Not that you needed me to tell you that. I think it's pretty easy to do the math. But uh, how are the resolutions going? <laughs> because in the midst of the cold weather, it's like, well, I mean, a donut's not going to kill me, right? It, it might help warm things up or something or that extra piece of pizza uh, or whatever it might be. But the resolutions come pretty easily this time of year. And there's always the top of the list ones. Poor Pam, she had to throw away the whole list of resolutions that they had at the office. And that's the problem with a lot of these resolutions. It's not that they aren't great things. They're great things. Taking on life-giving habits, uh, kicking out some bad uh, life-taking habits. You go to the gym, uh, get that Peloton so you can spend $1,000 a month to, to see a treadmill. Uh, it, it's a really super heavy paperweight in, in your room. Um, start to run, get vegetables, uh, stop smoking, stop drinking, uh, go to hot yoga. Don't look for me there. But, uh, the, you know, all, all those are good things. Um, we do not, I don't know when Christians got this attitude like, well, you know, we shouldn't be doing all those things. The, the, those things are great. Making resolutions is great. Doing things that are good for you is great. You're, you're taking care of this body that God gave to you that, that the Bible says is a temple. And that's all great. Go for it. Uh, all in. Uh, all, nothing but encouragement for you to do that. 
But what if I told you there's a resolution not on this list, not on the top of a lot of our lists, that produces all of these things and more? There's a habit that you can start in 2022 that will make you happier, more satisfied in life. And I know it, kind of, it could sound like, well, preacher's opinion, right? It's a subjective. Actually, it's highly objective. We've got Vanderbilt University, Harvard University. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're pretty prestigious. <laughs> uh, we, we've got um, the, the American Nurses Association, the American Medical Association, uh, Gallup, uh, the Search Institute, uh, Barna Research, on dozens and dozens and dozens of different studies over the last decade have all reached the same objective conclusion. That if you start this habit, if you make a commitment to it, don't just say you're going to do it, but if you actually live it out, this is a habit that you can start in 2022 that will make you happier. Statistically speaking, doesn't mean there aren't exceptions to the rule, of course not, but generally speaking, and in a significant statistical way, not, not just sort of a little bit happier, a, a, a little more satisfied with life, way more satisfied, way more content. You'll be healthier. On average, it will add, doing this one thing will add 7 to 14 years to your life, this side of heaven. It'll lower your blood pressure on average, lower suicide rates by 500%, increases the survival rates for people who get cancer or heart disease if they do this one thing or have been doing this one thing. It, it, it makes people less stressed, less depressed, and specifically since these studies are fresh during the pandemic over the last couple of years. We end up less lonely if we do this one thing, develop this one habit, more connected. Our number of friends tends to increase. We feel more supported socially. We become more generous. We become more active in our community. We become more hopeful, forgiving, kind. Uh, we be, have better marriages. Uh, we are, become better spouses, less divorce. Our kids are less likely to act out and do drugs or get involved in other activities that can hurt them or be harmful to them just by doing this one thing. And it's not hot yoga, and it's not the spin class, and it's not the bridge club or, 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 or the bowling league. All good things, all good things. Nothing wrong with any of it. But the researchers from Harvard concluded this about this one habit, this one thing. In fact, that's Tyler Vanderweel, PhD, right there in the middle. And this is his research team at Harvard. And they just came out with this massive study. Now, mind you, Harvard does not exactly have a reputation for having, putting the most positive light on everything Christian in this nation over the years. So it's fascinating when these Harvard researchers who came in with skepticism on this study, who had seen a whole bunch of other studies that had reached this conclusion and said, there's got to be something wrong with the methodology. There's got to be something wrong with the way they, they did the surveys, the, the research. There's got to be something wrong. So we're going to find it and we're going to expose it. And, you know, it's what we do. It's, it's for the sake of truth. We're going to put the truth out there and it's going to set people free. Much to their surprise, their research confirmed all the other studies that came before. And they said this, among other things, Tyler Vanderweel did, the lead researcher, the professor of epidemiology of the School of Public Health at Harvard University, said, when Americans try to solve social problems, we should remember the essential role of this one habit. This habit that's overlooked, minimized, dismissed, ignored by the majority of secular Americans. The essential role that this one habit plays in people's lives. Our own research indicates that when people do this, 
The public benefits of this habit suggest the need for significant changes in how the contributions of those who host this habit are being portrayed in the media, the academy, and beyond. Getting ignored, getting dismissed, getting misunderstood, getting minimized, pu pushed away. The research points to this one thing. Have you figured it out yet? I've got good news for you. You're doing it right now. It's worship. It's worshiping God weekly. And I gotta emphasize weekly, which may not be the news some of you wanna hear because one of your resolutions is, I'm gonna go to church every week this year. I'm gonna start today even though it's 700 below. I'm gonna go, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be good for me, I think. And you're right, it's gonna be really good for you. But it doesn't work if you go once a month or once every two or three weeks or four times a year. According to the research, I know it's like, oh sure, that's your opinion. And that's so convenient for you to say, right? No, according to the Harvard people and everybody else that points to the same thing, layer after layer, study after study, says when you worship God at least one to two times per week with your church family, not as a solo endeavor, spirituality that's done as a lone ranger is not effective. It doesn't lead to that list of benefits. It's something about the way God wired us up that when we do this together as sisters and brothers in Christ, when you can look around the room and say, wow, I'm not alone. In fact, turn to the person next to you, whatever room you're in right now. Even if you're in one of the thousands of locations that are worshiping with us live right now online, at homes, in cars, wherever, in igloos, wherever you might be. Somebody wrote in last night, said, I'm worshiping with you on the deck of my cruise ship in the Eastern Caribbean. Great. We're really, we're really happy for you. Wherever, wherever you are, turn to somebody, tell that person, and feel, I, and tell, I mean, I want you to really feel this. Say, I'm genuinely glad you're here and we get to do this together. Say that. I'm really glad we get to do this together. This is it. This is what Harvard says. This is what Vanderbilt says. This is what the studies say. This is what the research says. If you want to be happier, if you want to be healthier, if you want to live longer, if you want to, if you want to have more social support, if you want to be a more generous, more kind, uh, more giving person, if you want to have all these things in your life, do what you're doing right now. And do it at least once a week. I just got to throw this in too. If you do it twice a week, it's even better. Yeah, I know. So we got Wednesday nights, you know, we, we got young adult services on Thursday. We, we, we got all these different options. We got all these different places where you can come and worship. But once a week is, is all the commandment asks. And that's where the benefits start pouring in. Just absolutely pouring in. Not when you can fit it into a busy weekend, but making it a priority. And saying the busy weekend is going to work around the one thing that we need the most. This is what Jesus says to Mary and Martha, his friends, when, when uh, Martha's so busy uh, with all the things that have to be done to, to host this gathering, and Mary, Martha's sister, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, and, and Martha says, tell my sister to come and help me. We got work to do. And Jesus says, no, she's chosen the better part. She's sitting down at my feet and worshiping me, is the words Jesus uses, and it will not be taken away from her. Because this is the thing that we need. And we don't even get to vote on that. We didn't create us. God created us and he created us with this need. He wired us up for what we're doing right here. For worshiping God together in community. 
And it has to be, the research goes on to say, it has to be a Bible-believing, a grace-based church. And by that, what they mean is, grace-based churches avoid the trap of legalism, where they reduce and minimize Christianity into this just set of rules. The emphasis is on the rules. The emphasis is on how moral you are, and through their own self-righteous, condescending lenses, whether or not you belong here or fit here, or whether or not you're good enough to come to the table that the Lord offered for, for Peter, who denied him, and Judas, who portrayed him. But boy, if you committed that one sin, you can't come. No, we don't come to the Lord's table today because we've earned it or because we're righteous enough. We come with a confessing heart. We come admitting none of us deserves to be at this table. But by God's amazing grace, we're still invited. The love comes down. It's poured out for us. The love we started to celebrate on Christmas Eve. Over 100,000 people worshiped together as a church here at Hope on Christmas Eve. And we heard the good news of God's love. God loves you so much. He gave his one and only son to you today, a savior. The light shines into the darkness. And now the light continues to shine as we move into this new year. Grace-based church, to know that God loves us no matter what no matter who we are, that we're invited to come to this meal. Not because we've earned it, but we, but we come confessing. We, we come acknowledging, I'm coming because God invites me, not because I've earned it. Grace-based. When it's legalistic, you lose the benefits, according to the research. You also lose the benefits if you just go cult, totally relative and say, um, what messages do you want to hear? Who do you want God to be? What do you want the Bible to say? Well, we'll just set it up like that so we'll be very popular. Or we'll focus completely on the brand of this church. And we'll try to draw you to us and to our personalities and our nature and who we are. And it's all about us. You lose the benefit. The benefit's to be found on that faithful road in between those two ditches of legalism and relativism. Where God's grace is amazing. And where the, truth of, the timeless truth of scripture continues to be the word that guides us. When we do that, when we gather together in God's house, on a weekly basis at least, the benefits and the blessings come. The research goes on to say this, Tyler Vanderweel says and writes, this research should challenge Americans to consider whether their own spiritual journeys might be better lived out under the discipline of a tried and tested tradition of belief and practice. Instead of a church that's more concerned about fluffy stuff or shallow stuff or, or, or drawing a crowd or getting attention. Instead of we're wanting to get attention so we can point you to Jesus. Because he's the one who saves. And it goes on. Finally, Tyler Vanderweel says this. He writes this in his conclusion to the study. Religious participation strongly promotes health and, promotes health and wellness. The whole list. This means that Americans growing disaffection with organized religion isn't just bad news for churches. It also represents, his words, not mine, a public health crisis. When we tell people church attendance doesn't matter, when we acknowledge, when, when we remind her, say, hey, you know, the busier you are on the weekend, the better. I went to the grocery store a couple of weeks ago, and the very friendly cashier says what a lot of folks, and that's, it's just making small talk, it's, it's being kind. She says, what are you doing this weekend? And when we get asked that question, the temptation, of course, is always to be, well, I'm an American. I have to be busy. I have to make sure that there's tons of stuff I'm doing. I have to make sure that my Saturday and Sunday is completely packed 
with all sorts of activities and things I'm doing, and that there would never be a whole day of rest. There would never be a whole day set aside for rest and renewal, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, that, that I wouldn't do that. But then we lose the rhythm into which we've been created. And again, we don't get to vote on that. It's a public health crisis. So much so that the Harvard researchers go on to say, we ask the question, we wonder if in medical offices that doctors, when they ask the good list of questions, what are your habits? Are you doing these things which are good for you? Are you doing these things which are bad for you? Stop doing these, start doing those. We would ask that doctors in medical practices start considering asking, what are your worship habits? Harvard! telling us we, we think that this is such a public health crisis that this would solve so many issues, that it would resolve so many things, that we would encourage doctors to include that on the list of what's your worship life like? Well, whatever it might be, of whatever denomination, are you in the habit of doing this one thing, this, developing this one highly, uh, this habit of highly effective Christians, so much so that it would bless your health and well-being and your contentment in life. But the disaffection with organized religion is bad news because it's happening all around us. Take a look at these numbers. These are not fun. Gallup asked Americans in 1975 uh, how they viewed organized religion. Do you view it with confidence was the question. 1975, over two-thirds of Americans says, we view organized religion with confidence. That is not to say that organized religion is somehow immune from criticism or that we shouldn't be put under the microscope or brought everything out into the sunshine. I'm all for that. I've advocated for that for as long as I've been doing this. If we don't have anything to hide, we can bring it all out. Transparency is our friend. But of course, when there's scandals and corruption and, and, and church leaders who, who get all enamored and start believing that it's all about them instead of the God who gives us this word to share, we trip up. And so the trust in organized religion amongst Americans has dropped from 68% to 36%. And that's mostly on the church. According to Barna Research, another reputable research institution, the percent of Americans who worship weekly just over a decade ago, 43%. In 2020, an asterisk there, this is January of 2020, before the pandemic hit the United States hard, it was 29%. How much lower has it gone during the pandemic? It's a public health crisis, according to Harvard. It's a massive problem. And then there's this, because I didn't say all this just to say, hey, you know what, for the sake of your physical health, for the sake of you being a little happier, for the sake of you living a few more years, seven to 14 years here on planet Earth, for the sake of you being a, a kinder person, I think you should do these things, period. That's the whole point. Thanks for coming. Let's have some wine and go home. There's something way deeper going on here, and I want to point you to it for the rest of this sermon. Those are perks. <laughs> Those are nice benefits. Those are some things that come along with the package, but it's a slippery slope from there into the heresy of prosperity theology. Prosperity theology is a thinking and an understanding of God, of if God, if I scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. If I take care of you, if I give a certain kind of offering, I'm going to get rich. 
I'm going to get loaded with, with, with blessings of money. That's what you're going to do for me. If I come to church every week in 2022, I'm going to be happier, healthier, more popular, uh, more famous. I'm going to be richer. It's prosperity theology, and it's not biblical. It's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Yes, there's abundant life blessings. Jesus says that in John 10.10. 10. Follow me, and I'll point you to this better way, deeper truth, more abundant life. I will give it to you. But that's not why we do it. That can't be our motivation. We don't use God as a means to an end. God is the end. God is not a stepping stone along the way. God is the goal. Not something we try to do religiously so that we can acquire the goal. The goal is this relationship with God and that's what God wired us for. Which is why worship hits us right where we live. Worship is a time for holy connections. Holy is a word that is such a simple definition, but there's so many Christians who don't know it. It simply means God has set it apart for you as a gift. It's a gift. This worship, what we're doing right here, wherever you are, thousands of different locations live right now, is holy. It's holy because God says so. Oh yeah, in this building you're sitting literally on holy ground before we poured the concrete and put the carpet over the concrete. We invited everybody who was a part of our church family back then to write down their favorite Bible verse. And so we put those on the ground. So we're standing and sitting and worshiping literally on God's word when we come into this room. We wrote those scriptures into the walls behind the paneling and and underneath the paint so that these walls would, would be grounded and would have that foundation. God's word, the solid rock, but that's, that's something that comes wherever you are if you're worshiping God with your heart, mind, and soul wide open. It's holy. Here's why we do this. The perks, the list of things you'll do if you develop this one habit are, are a nice bonus. But the main thing, please don't miss the main thing. This is what separates Christian worship from bridge club or the bowling league or any other group gathering that you have, the rec- recreational basketball team you're a part of, or, or what, which is really fun. The softball team you play on every summer, where, where you just have such good friendships and such connections and such bonds. It's great. Keep doing that. Church gives you all of that. When, when you come in and you're open to it and you get involved and you get engaged, it's all here for you. All of that is here for you. But here's what worship has that nothing else can touch. Which is why the researchers are saying, we really think this needs to come out into the sunshine. We really think people need to know. What's happening here is we are being reminded, this is what's holy, of who God is, who we are in God's eyes, and how much he sincerely loves us. How much he sincerely loves you. Just soak in that for a moment. Listen to me, God loves you. The creator of the universe loves you. Never-ending love. A a love that's filled with grace. Loves you. Loves you so much that he sent his son, which we started to celebrate at Christmas. Keep the light shining. Keep that fire going. Fan the flames. God loves you. And it turns out we need to be reminded We need to experience, not just the words, we need to have that experience so that when we walk in here, we start to get a sense for the the majesty, for for the wonder, for the glory, for the reverence of who God is. 
When's the last time you came to worship? And I'm not trying to guilt or shame you here, but did you walk into the room you're in right now to, to sit down to worship with, with that sense of awe and majesty and wonder of who God is? Do you look at the cross and think, my goodness, how much do you love me, God, that you would be willing to send your son to go to that, to sacrifice his life for mine? How much do you love me that your water of life poured out, is poured down from heaven for me and meets us right where we are? And breaks through right where we live. The limestone around the baptismal font here at Hope comes from Iowa. The marble where the water is trickling down is from the Holy Land where Jesus walked and talked and preached and teached and died on a cross and rose from the dead. The holy breaks through the ordinary. The God of eternity. The God of life. The God of glory and majesty and wonder and awe breaks through and meets us, pours down his love for us, showers it down for us right where we are. Take that in. That's the key. That's what nothing else can touch. That's why we need worship and not just a social club, not just an activity, not just something else where we make friends. It's holy. God pours out his love for us. He invites us to his table. He says, come. You are welcome at my family table. Come and eat. Come and drink. Taste and see that I'm good, the scriptures say. It's holy. There is an eight-year-old boy who uh, lived in suburban Chicago, and one Christmas, he and his family were going to take a trip. They were blessed with a, with a lot of uh, material wealth, and so they were going to get everybody on a plane and fly to France. Not just the immediate family, but cousins and uncles and aunts and and everybody, they're going to get in this plane and they're going to fly, but the morning of the flight, this little eight-year-old boy in suburban Chicago woke up and his family was gone. He was home alone. <laughs> his name is Kevin. Buzz, his bully big brother, was gone. Uncle Frank, who called him a little jerk because he ruined Christmas when he spilled the milk around the pizza, is gone. Mom and dad are gone. All his brothers and sisters are gone. Kevin's home alone to fend for himself over the holiday. And he's got to figure it all out. And he's got to protect his house against the, the burglars who are going to come. And, and he is, well, I don't know. Maybe you've seen the movie. There's some great scenes in that movie. Right? John Candy, polka, polka, polka. Which turns out he's just improvising the whole thing. Uh, the, the, the scene after scene after scene, the ending, tearjerker. But my favorite scene is the one I'm about to show you. Kevin's in a dark place. It's starting to hit him. I'm an eight-year-old boy. I'm all alone. It's Christmas. And I really miss my family. And he starts to sense that. And when he's in this dark place... Where does he go? Where does he turn to find light? Where do you go? Maybe that darkness is all over you today. Maybe it's surrounding you. Maybe you feel like you can't get out of it. You've come to the right place. A holy place. A place where we are reminded who we are, whose we are, and how much this God loves us. It's majestic.
oldest son, Jonathan, was here last night at our Saturday service, and he's a TV producer. And he says, Dad, there's more to that scene than you may be caught. Did you notice the camera angles as Kevin is coming from darkness to light? Did you notice when he walks in, you see it from the perspective of heaven? Like God watching you walk in today, saying, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you came into my house. I'm so glad you accepted my invitation. And then the camera moves around and suddenly we get a close-up of Kevin and he's soaking up the majesty and the awe and the wonder of the moment. And then what's the next shot? It's Kevin looking up into the glory of the sanctuary, the holy space that he's in, and realizing that he's come to the right place. So have you. The stuff that happens here is holy. When your heart and your mind and your soul is open to it. If you're close to it, nothing will happen. You'll just be going through the motions. It, 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 you'll walk out the same way you walked in. But if your heart opens, you experience God. You experience God. You are reminded who you are and whose you are and how much this God loves you. The researchers are trying to figure out, they say, well, what is it? Is it the community aspect of church? Is it something else? Is it the positive messages? Sure, that's not bad. But of course, what they can't speak to unless they've experienced it is the holy, is the connection with the God who created us to be in a relationship with him and in a relationship with one another. It's God in us in real life. And that's our overriding theme here at Hope for the Whole Year. It's God in us. It's not just you and Jesus privately working it out. That's not biblical. It's us doing this in community. It's us together. It's us as a church family and all those who will come who we will welcome with open arms. It's God and us together. It's that relationship that God wants to establish that makes us happier, healthier, live longer, uh, on average, statistically, on and on the list goes. 
But even better than that, we get connected to God. We discover what we were made for. We hit our stride. We find our rhythm. Suddenly things start to, it's not that all the struggles and the challenges go away. It's just that they're in a whole new perspective. Well, I'm connected to an eternal God. I'm connected to a God who's going to be with me, with me no matter what. Who promises that he'll be with me. Whose love cannot, I cannot be separated from God's love by any force in this universe. We're reminded of the power in real life. And so it's not just, you know, a movie about an eight-year-old kid in suburban Chicago who's home alone. It's, it's the story of us in real life. It's what we get to experience here if we're open to it every time. And so it's the first of the five habits of highly effective Christians that we're going to preach about during this month of January. It's right out of the commandments. One of God's top ten. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Sabbath is a biblical word in the original Hebrew for rest. Remember the rest day. Do you have a rest day? Or do you just pack your weekends full with all sorts of stuff you got to do because that's what Americans do. We've lost our rhythm. We've lost the, 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 the purpose for which we've been created. Work hard for six days. The same that God did, that same sort of rhythm. For six periods of time, for six days, God created. And on the seventh day, God rested. And then God, in the midst of that, made us and said, I made you in my image in that same rhythm. Give God your best. Work for the glory of God. Whatever it is you do, the Bible says. Whatever it is you do. However you live out your vocation. Give it all you got. Get, pour into it. Work hard. But on the seventh day, set it aside to rest physically, to renew, but spiritually too. Carve out some time for worship. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Jesus taught on Sabbath in the Gospels. It's a major theme in the Gospels. Mark 2 is one example. Jesus says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. Because he had to say that. He had to say that because he was healing people on the Sabbath. And the religious legalists said, ah, you can't do that. Because we have this narrow interpretation that says there are certain things you can't do on the Sabbath. You, you, you can't carry your groceries on the Sabbath. You can't, even to this day, we, we get lost in the details of it. Or the Sabbath is Saturday. No, it's Sunday. Let's get in a big fight about it. Let's say that the only people who are really worshiping God are doing it on a particular day. Martin Luther puts it this way, the great reformer of the 16th century. We keep holy days, Sabbath days, so that people may have time and opportunity, which otherwise would not be available, to participate in public worship. It orders our schedules. Whatever your Sabbath day is, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, for a lot of pastors around the world because it's our day off, have a day set aside for rest and renewal. We keep these days so that we don't lose public worship in the sea of all the other busyness and distractions and other activities. Even where it gets really tempting is when all those other things you can do on a weekend are good. But when they crowd out this, you've lost your rhythm. This, I say, then, is not restricted, Luther goes on to write, to a particular time, the Sabbath, for in itself, no one day is better than another. Let's not worship the day. Actually, there should be worship daily. However, since this is more than working people can do, at least one day in the week must be set apart for all of us for the purpose of public worship. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor and great theologian and author of the Chronicles of Narnia, says, aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. If you're just chasing after this earth, this world, what it can give you, you're not going to get the world, and you're going to miss heaven along the way too. Anne Lamott, the novelist, says... I go to church every Sunday, which is like going to the gas station once a week and really, really filling up. 
Francis Chan, the author of Crazy Love, says, if one person wastes away his day connecting with God in worship, wastes in quotes, and the other person believes he's too busy or has better things to do than worship the creator and the sustainer of life, who's really the crazy one? And so we come into God's holy space to make these holy connections. It's a time for holy connections. You've chosen wisely today. In person or online, it still happens if your heart's open to it. And so we experience what Kevin experienced. But Kevin didn't just walk in and get blown away by the majesty of, of, uh, of God. Kevin also got into a conversation with old man Marley, who the kids were kind of scared of in the neighborhood until they realized he's really a sweet soul who goes to church. And, and they get into this kind of game-changing conversation for both old man Marley and Kevin at church. And that's the other thing that can happen when you come and worship. Somebody told me uh, just a few weeks ago, said, I, I came to one of the Advent services at Hope and I was in a seriously dark place. I felt all alone. I wasn't looking forward to the holidays. I was like, everybody else has family. They don't. But I don't have any family. You do. This is it. And I was sitting up in the, in the grandstands all by myself and after the service, I don't even know who it was. Some kind person saw me, instead of leaving, walked up the steps and just said, hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Hope. I've never met you before. That was about it. There wasn't much else to the conversation. But this guy said it, actually, it absolutely blessed me. Just absolutely changed my whole attitude. I walked in in darkness. I went out in light. So I hereby declare you all secret greeters. <laughs> Don't just come and do the thing and then go. Take a few minutes on the way in and on the way out. Look for somebody. Say hi to somebody. You never know what God's going to do with that kind hello, that gesture, that how you doing. It, just the simplest of things. If you want to get into a deep, game-changing conversation like Kevin and old man Marley did in the church that day, follow God into that too. But what God does with us when we come here with open hearts and minds and souls is transformational. Nothing less than transformational. We walk in sometimes in darkness or frustration or I'm not even sure I need to be here today. And if our hearts are open to it, we walk out inspired. Take a look. Any good boy this year? I think so. Swear to it? Mm. Yeah, I had a feeling. You know, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. Came to hear my granddaughter sing. I can't come and hear her tonight. Your plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, well, you're always welcome at church. I'm not welcome with my son. You should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it. And he won't have to be afraid anymore. I don't care how mad I was, I talked to my dad. Especially around the holidays. I don't know. Just give it a shot. For your granddaughter anyway. I'm sure she misses you. And the presents. You better run along home where you belong. You think about what I said, all right? Okay. It's nice talking to you. 
Who's talking to you? What about you? Me? Yeah, you and your son. We'll see what happens. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Kevin went to church and he saw the light and he went home inspired to protect his house but there's one more scene that I won't show you today that before the burglars came over and Kevin set up all the traps to protect his house he sat down for a meal I think it was a frozen TV dinner and do you remember what he did before he ate he said grace grace before the meal so together we gather, wherever you are, whatever campus or local site or living room or car you're in right now, we gather together as one church in thousands of locations. And we do this because scripture points us to do this. See how supportive we can be in encouraging love, the Bible says in Hebrews 10. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on. Encouraging each other, not just because there's a list of perks you get if you do it, because people need to experience the holy. People need to be in a relationship with God. People need to be reminded who we are and whose we are and how much God loves us that he would invite us to his table even though not one of us has earned this today. We come here confessing our sin, not thinking we've conquered our sin. We come here knowing how much we need this, how much we need to be reminded of who God is and how much he loves us. And so it comes to us. Welcome to the family table. Most famous psalm in the Bible, Psalm 23. Second to the last verse, verse 5 says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of the darkness, in the presence of my enemies. Your light breaks through. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long, forever. Who else can give you that? So when we come into God's house, we're not like performing worship. We're worshiping together. We're here because we need the holy together. I'm not hosting this meal. Jesus Christ is. I'm just announcing it. I'm just telling you what he said. In the night in which he's betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it for all to eat. Saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Listen to this part. For the forgiveness of all your sins, which we all have. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do. This is the body of Christ given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. We forgot to say grace. So let's pray. <laughs> Halfway through the meal. As my uncle once said, if you don't, you're going to get a stomachache. <laughs> Lord, we pray what you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. How much better is a family meal when we get to sit down and do it together? You say, I'm all alone, but you're not. You're with your family right now. 
wherever you are. Welcome to the family of God. Be reminded that after the supper, Jesus took the cup of the Passover meal, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink. Even his denier and his betrayer offered his grace for all and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this is the blood of Christ. Listen to this promise. This is the blood of Christ, Jesus says. This is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Let's receive that together as a family. No doubt the tiniest meal you'll eat all week. By far the most powerful. By far. Nothing else can touch it. It's not the wafer of bread, and it's certainly not the little sip of Welch's grape juice or whatever that was. It's the promise that comes with that bread and that wine. It's the promise of the God who is majestic, who is glorious, who's mysterious, who's awesome who invites us to come into his house every week because we were wired up for this to experience the holy, to experience God, to grow in our relationship of faith with him. It's God in us in real life this year. That's what our focus will be. And we're starting with these five habits of highly effective Christians. This is one. And we'll pick it up there next week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now receive this blessing. May the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, strengthen you all and keep you in his grace unto life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You feel happier, healthier, going to live longer? Yeah, those are just perks. How about this? Have you experienced the holiness and the wonder of God's amazing grace and love for you? Yeah, praise God. Well, let's give him praise and let's stand up and sing.